The world is a mess, and I play a part. Therefore, the people of faith go before the Lord in confession. We say, forgive us, Lord, and renew a right spirit within us. And in God's faithfulness, he is sure to forgive and make us new. Today we light the second candle, holding fast to Jesus and seeking his forgiveness as we read God's word from Malachi 3, 1 through 4. Look, I'm sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you look for so eagerly, is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal, or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver, so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. Then once more the Lord will accept the offerings brought to him by the people of Judah and Jerusalem as he did in the past. You may be seated. like poor Asher found himself on the naughty list this year, I think, right? Yeah, I think so. Hey, guys, thank you so much. Cloverton, yeah. Lance wasn't kidding. It was not much more than 20 minutes before service that they arrived. Their schedule, if you looked at, uh, I don't know, I went online and saw where you guys have been the last few days. I think Friday night in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And then Saturday night, they were west of Cincinnati last night down in uh, Indiana. And they drove this morning and, and uh, arrived, and I think tomorrow night in Kentucky, right? Is that right? So uh, we're so pleased that they're here. It's 6.30 tonight. Uh, tickets will be for on sale between services for their Christmas tour concert, and we're looking forward to that very much. And tonight, tickets will be on sale too. Uh, but it's good to be back here with you uh, this, this Sunday. Last Sunday, I think Pastor Eric mentioned that we were on vacation. It was kind of neat. Uh, last Friday, and this is something that doesn't happen very often, um, Pastor Jim and Pastor Steve, myself, and Sheila both found ourselves down in the Caribbean. Yeah, how's about that? Well, Friday, it was interesting because Friday morning, there I am on the beach, I'm texting Pastor Jim, and Jim is in Jamaica working with some of our churches uh, in Jamaica, and he's texting me, and we're both saying, okay, what's the score of the Kirtland football game, you know? <laughs> both of us wishing we were back here for the state championship game, but hey, we won, right? All right, state champs again. Congratulations, Tiger and the team and everybody. That was great. And uh, I was doing a little dance there on the beach and, uh, and everybody's wondering what was going on, you know, but that was, that was so neat. But, uh, but yeah, it's been a great, been a great uh, beginning of Advent season and Pastor Eric led us into it last week. Christmas unexpected. The things that come up, and you know, there's always things that come up that you, you don't expect. And that was the case for the Jews. That was the case in the time of Christ. It just wasn't quite what they expected. 
Last week, Pastor Eric told you that they were expecting a, a legalist, someone who would come in and, and hold everybody to the, to the letter of the law. Not only that, would follow the letter of the law and would bring judgment upon those who didn't, but instead, Jesus came and brought mercy to those. Today, as Hannah read out of Malachi, we are on in this book, the last book of the New Testament, and it really, it, for this message, the, the, it's, it's the best of times, and it's the worst of times. You've heard that before, right? It was the best of times. In the time of Malachi, he was kind of a contemporary with Ezra and Nehemiah and Haggai, who we went through the book of Haggai in October. He was kind of their contemporaries, and and. The, the good news was the best of times is the people were back home. The captivity, the Babylonian captivity had entered. It ended. They were no longer exiles, and they were free to return to their homeland. But it was the worst of times in that they were still under foreign domination. They weren't truly free, and we know they didn't really get that freedom until, what, 1948. They were still living under the, under the thumb of another empire, another ruler, and would continue to do so, and would continue to do so certainly through the time of Christ. It was the best of times in that the temple had been rebuilt. You know, when we studied Haggai, he was, he was saying, come on, rebuild, rebuild, and, and they did rebuild, and so, and so we read from Malachi, the temple has been rebuilt. That's the best of times. But the worst of times in that this temple just wasn't like the old temple. And we talked about that when we went through Haggai. It just didn't have the pizzazz. It wasn't as big. But more than that, it just didn't seem to have the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant was missing. The symbol of God's presence was not there. It was the best of times in that they had finally seemed to have kicked the habit of worshiping idols. They weren't, they weren't falling trap again to, to, to taking on those idols of the nations that were around them and the people that were living amongst them. They had learned their lesson, it appears. So they weren't worshiping the idols, but it was the worst of times in that their faith, though, was a half-hearted faith. They were, they were doing the minimum that they needed to do to get by. They were just... Just taking it half-heartedly. And so, with that in mind, we come to the scripture today in Malachi chapter 3. The Lord is speaking, and he's speaking directly, and then Malachi is also speaking in these verses. And the first verse that Hannah read for us there, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come into his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And you look at this and we look at, okay, who's this messenger? And and you can get a little convoluted here when you start talking about, well, the name Malachi means messenger and is it Malachi's messenger? But when you go through the New Testament, clearly the, the same 
terms, same words, uh, the one who has sent and prepared the way is John the Baptist. And we have that to know now as we hear that John the Baptist was sent before, and he's referred to that on multiple occasions. And we say, yes, Lord, John the Baptist will be coming. And then he says, and suddenly the Lord who you're seeking will come into the temple. And this suddenly is not, it's not necessarily quick. It's not like it's, oh, you know, it's going to happen quickly. But it's going to happen unexpectedly. So at some time when you don't expect it, it's going to happen. The messenger is going to come. And then the Lord you are seeking will come into his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture of expectation. What a beautiful picture of, wow, I can't wait. I can imagine to think that this might have been hundreds and hundreds of years would have been very difficult if they would have known that. But they say it's coming. It's coming with this temple, this temple that is oh, just lacking something. It's, it's, it's going to be filled with the presence of this one we've been waiting for, the Messiah. And they waited, they waited 100 years, they waited 200 years, they waited 300 years, they waited 400 years, they waited 500 years. I, as I think about that, that's, that's mind-blowing to me because when you think of the United States, we're not even 250 years old, right? <laughs> so if someone had said in 1776 that some great thing was gonna happen in the United States and we're sitting here today and it hasn't happened yet, 250 years later, you know, yeah, fat chance that's ever gonna happen, right? <laughs> and God, well, he was smoking, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, that, that's not, just didn't happen. And so I imagine, you know, you, you know it's gonna happen, it's been promised it's gonna happen, they believe they're prophets, but then you begin to doubt. Is it really going to happen? Is it going to happen the way that we think it's going to happen? Are we interpreting our scriptures correctly? But they kept hoping. They kept hoping. They kept, they, they, they kept wishing it's going to happen. But have you ever heard the saying, be careful what you wish for? <laughs> uh-huh. Amos chapter 5 verse 18 says this, Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. That's probably why in verse 2, Malachi shared these two rhetorical questions. He says this, But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? What you get might not be what you expect. And that look that you saw in Asher's face, <laughs> that might be your look. Come on, really? <laughs> Is this really what we have been waiting for? My mind always goes back to Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> when you find the truth, you can't handle it. And that's what the Malachi adds to what the Lord has just said. You can't handle the truth. You can't handle the truth when you're waiting on God. And you say, Lord, appear. Come in your fullness. Come in your power. Come in your great moving of your spirit when you are serving God half-heartedly. When you're serving God with the very minimum, I can just get by with this. When all my service for God is outward, which is what they were doing, and not inward. If that's the case and God comes, who can endure 
Who can stand when he appears? Be careful what we wish for. I have a pastor friend. In fact, he's a pastor of a friend's church down in North Carolina who uh, posted on social media this week, I think something about this of half-heartedness. And I, I'm just gonna read it. And if you, if you have a complaint, I'll give you his email. Uh, <laughs> he posted this and it says this. I am growing weary of all those folks who want to keep Chris, Chris, let me start over. I am growing weary of all those folks who want to keep Christ in Christmas, but they don't have the same passion for keeping him in their Sundays. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Maybe just stop there, right? <laughs> Half-heartedly, just doing the minimum. Keep Christ in Christmas, but oh, no, 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 no. I'll have my Sundays myself. We'll move on. Okay. And so the prophet goes on to explain what that day may be like. In verse 3, he says this, For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. He says when the, when the, when the, the Messiah comes, when this one who is anointed comes, he's going to come as a, as a purifier He's going to come as a cleansing agent. And he gives these couple examples. And, and, and we won't go into the how exactly, but you know to get uh, um, silver, you have to get the ore and you have to melt it. And then the, you have to hot enough that the silver separates. And then, it, then you have to skim off the impurities and you end up with that pure silver. And then there's like the launderer's soap. You beat out the filth with the soap. Uh, those are the ancient ways, and you said, uh, there's, uh, sometimes the more modern examples speak to me a little more. I have in my pocket one of the great inventions in the last 200 years. Tide to go. <laughs> Tide to go. This, this, I didn't buy this. This was given to me by Carol Hiscott. <laughs> Carol is our elder of Christian education and she has a lot of volunteer in the office so she, she has an office just beside mine when she's there and she got tired of me coming in and borrowing hers. <laughs> because I, I'm, I'm a sloppy guy. I, I eat at my desk sometimes. I, I spill things. I just, I break things but that's not this message. Um, but I, but I, but you know, so, so to, to be able to take this and have that stain and to be able to just rub it in and rub it, rub it, rub it, rub it, rub it and before I even sit down at my desk, it's gone. It's gone. A purifying agent. A purifying agent. That's kind of what I think about here. He says he's going to come and he's going to take his tide to go <laughs> and he's going to cleanse, he's going to purify he speaks, to this, here's, this speaks to the thoroughness of the cleaning, the slanderous soap, and it speaks to the severity of the stain. Michael's message is that he, or Malachi's message is he will purify. He has come to purify. Purity became a big issue. In fact, as the years went by and the sects started to form in between 500 
BC when Malachi would have been prophesying in the time of Christ. Pastor Eric talked about these different sects that formed like the Pharisees. And one of the things was is we needed to keep pure. We needed to keep, and that pure to them though was separate. We needed to keep, we needed to keep the, the low life, the, the Gentiles, the unclean, the sinners, anything that would stain us because we might, we might get some of that stain. Some of that might rub off on us. One more story was, and thinking how, how, how just a little bit of sin, we know this, can, 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 can expand and you need to take care of it. It was Thanksgiving morning. My wife was putting together, Sheila was putting together the dessert she always makes for our family for Thanksgiving. It's, it's, it's everybody's favorite. It's no sugar or low sugar anyhow, so I can eat it. It's trifle, it's called, multi-layer, and it's got like a sugar-free um, angel food cake and sugar-free whipped cream, and then some berries, some blackberries and some strawberries, and then another layer of, of angel food cake and another layer of whipped cream and strawberries, and, and then another layer of whipped cream and another layer, and, and it's, it's so good. So good, so good. Now, this, this, this effort she put forth that day was not only would only taste good. It looked good. It was, we both agreed it was maybe the best looking dessert she's ever made. We were just getting ready to leave for my father's house and Sheila got a text from a friend. She says, hey, did you hear about the no boil in Willoughby? Thinking, okay, what did I do this morning? Anything with water. Oh, I rinsed the fruit, the strawberries. So a decision was made. Or had to be made. Do you, risk the, do you risk the stain of the germ that may or may not be there? Because nobody really knew what was going on. They said, just don't. They said, just boil your water before you even think of drinking it. So we made a decision. We left the dessert at home. Oh, yes. Had to eat pumpkin pie. <laughs> Because even though it was just a few strawberries, but it was on each layer, and it would have contaminated the whipped cream, which would have contaminated the cake. Sin has to be dealt with, surely. And, and, and God is going to come, and he says, I'm going to come and purify. But their understanding of purifying was that, you know, he's going to elevate us to where we go. In fact, the results of this purification in the next verse says this, then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in the former days. Oh, this sounds so good. It's gonna be just like it was before. We are separate. We're in control. We were we ruling over the Gentiles. They are cast out. This is our land, our people. The good old days. I remembered, as I hear that term good old days all the time when I was a youngster, and don't judge me for this, but we used to watch All in the Family. And Archie Bunker and Edith would start singing, boy, the way Glenn Miller played. Songs that made the hit parade. Guys like us, we had it made. Those were the days. Yes. Dreaming about those days, Glenn Miller died, I think, in somewhere in, in the mid-40s, so it was sometime in the 30s and 40s that he would have been singing about remembering, we always remember the good old days, ah, the good old days, when things were in order, when the Jewish nation was separate, and when, when the Gentiles were in their place, 
when we ruled and when God's presence was in the temple. It sounds glorious. Judah, Jerusalem, be lifted up and God is going to come and if I may use these words, he's going to drain the swamp. (laughs) He's going to drain the swamp. All these Gentiles living around us, boom, out the door. He's going to drain the swamp. He's not, not like we hear it today. We're not talking about draining the swamp of the rulers. They're going to get rid of the, 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 the ones who don't belong here. He's going to get rid of the, the, the people that have come in and taken our land. We're going to drain the swamp. We're going to get rid of the riffraff. In fact, John the Baptist, when he was talking about Jesus, he kind of said that. Listen to this out of the message in Luke chapter 3. He said, he's going to clean house. Doesn't that sound like drain the swamp? <laughs> He's going to clean house, make a clean sweep of our lives. He'll place everything true and proper in his true and proper place before God. Everything false, he'll put out with the trash to be burned. Get rid of the riffraff, clean house, restore order. The good old days. Actually, it makes sense. I mean, the scriptures, you go through the scriptures and how sin and, and how those who are, are, are pagan can contaminate. In fact, there are verses like Psalm 1.1. It's as happy as the one who does not stand in the advice of wicked or, or walk in the advice of wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the comfort, company of mockers. And he says, and they look at verses like that and he says, that's just what we should do. We should just, we should just get rid of them. They, they, they don't belong here. They're not part of God's people. And that was the mindset It's a time where Christ would come on the earth. Which then we we find it probably easy to understand why they were confused when Jesus came. Why they were confused when Jesus did some of the things that he did. Why they were confused when things like the setting of Luke 15 happens. Luke 15, Jesus is here. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I thought he was going to drain the swamp. (laughs) These were the ones he was coming to push out to purify outside the walls, outside the land. Get out of here. We are Israel. We are God's people. And you're sitting down and you're eating with them. Partying with the enemy. Hmm. Even reminds me of another time. Luke chapter 5, a little before this, Jesus was calling his disciples and he called Levi, the tax collector, Levi, he told Levi, come, follow me. Levi went and followed, but the first thing Levi did was held a party in the honor of Jesus. And it says, who did he invite? His buddies. (laughs) The sinners, the tax collectors. In fact, if you go back and read chapter five in the New Living Testament, the New Living Translation, it says that when the Pharisees complained there, they said, why are you dining and partying with these scum? Jesus said this, it is not health, they're not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come 
to the righteous, to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Repentance? Is that what this is about? Repentance? I don't like that. Why would we offer them repentance? Kind of reminds me of the mindset of Jonah. Hey, go to Nineveh. Tell them to repent. Yeah, I don't want to. I can, I can see Jonah having that same look that Asher had on his face. Come on, really? <laughs> the Ninevites, those sinners? I think the same look that the Pharisees had on their face. The sinners, the tax collectors, the Gentiles, the scum. So Jesus tells the parable. Jesus' response to that is that what would a shepherd do if he had 100 sheep and one of them was lost? Wouldn't he set aside the 99 and go and search for the, for the one? And when he finds the one, wouldn't he go and put it on his shoulders and carry him home? And when he gets home, wouldn't he call his friends and family and join them together and say, hey, look, rejoice with me, party with me. I have found the lost sheep. He not only, then he not only goes there, but he tells another story about a, a lost coin and another story about a lost son and the party that happened there. And he adds this at the end of that story of the sheep. He says, I tell you that in the same way there'll be more rejoicing in heaven than over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous who do not need to repent. There's a lot of joy in heaven. There seems to be a lot of grumbling on earth, right? <laughs> a lot of joy on heaven, but a lot of grumbling on earth. Why did God's people miss it? Why did, why did they miss the Messiah coming in the way that he came? I think this may be one reason the people were expecting a campaign of condemnation. But Jesus was on a rescue mission of grace. I'm not sure who said that. That might have been Pastor Eric. <laughs> the people were expecting a campaign of condemnation. But Jesus was on a rescue mission of grace. They were expecting the Messiah to come and to drain the swamp, to get rid of the riffraff, to, to deal with the sinners the way they need to be dealt with, needed to be dealt with. But he comes in grace. Last week, Pastor Eric talked about mercy. Mercy is that, is that deliverance from judgment. We don't get the judgment that's going to boast to come our way. This week, he, where Jesus comes in a mission of grace. He extends kindness to those who don't deserve it. He extends favor to those who don't deserve it. It's unmerited favor. And he says in that verse, he says over 99 persons who do not repent, it was, it was I've come, I've come for the world. In fact, what really seems to be the sticking in the crawl of the Pharisees, it's not necessarily that he would go after one, but it was that one was belonged to the Lord all along. That one was always one of his sheep. but it was a lost sheep. 
So what did they miss too? I think they missed, you know, you, you know, sometimes when you're reading through your Bible, you highlight those passages you really like. And then you look at a passage and, eh, I won't highlight that one. <laughs> you know, oh, we'll highlight the ones where he's going to purify and he's going to come in and drain the swamp and all that kind of stuff. And they didn't read the next verse. Well, maybe they did, but they didn't highlight it. Back in Malachi, chapter 3, verse 5, he says this, so I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify about sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord. Here's what they missed. I will come to judge who? You. I will come to judge you. Ah, oh, come on, really? <laughs> really? Them? It should be them, not us. What did I do? How did I get on the naughty list? What's the charges? And so he, he shares the charges there. He says, I will be quick to testify against sorcerers and adulterers and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers, of their wages, who oppress the widows and fathers, deprive the foreigners. I, I, can, I can understand here, uh, yeah, I, I was there, yeah, the adulterers, the perjurers, the sorcerers, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, those who defraud laborers of their wages. You mean if I'm not paying what I should be paying? Man, we won't highlight that one, right? Oppress the widows, the orphans? Man, we won't highlight that one. Deprive the foreigners among you of justice. Oh, we won't highlight that one. No. You get the sense that they had only read part of the story. Or they only clung to part of the story. They only claimed verse 3 and 4, and they didn't claim verse 5. Are we ever guilty of that? John the Baptist not only said he's going to come and clean house, but he also says something else about this, this one, and he said it in Luke chapter one, verse 29. He saw Jesus coming. He pointed at him and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He says, the Lamb of God who gets his tide to go <laughs> and he, take, he looks at our sin and he takes away that sin. And it's the sin of the world. Everyone who would come. In fact, this sin that he purifies. The sin that is so devastating. The sin that will spread and destroy us. He comes to take it away. That take away actually means to lift, to remove. Kind of like you do the, the impurities of the silver. Kind of like what comes out of the wash, out of your dirty clothes. Take away lifts. John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. John writes that this God we know is light and in him is no darkness at all. And then he says this, but if we walk in the light 
As he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sins. How do we get purified? How does this work? How, how when we confess our sins, does he take it away? He's taken it away through his blood. We sang about that in some of the songs we sang today, about his sacrifice that he made for us. Jesus' Jesus's blood. We don't get washed in water, we get washed in blood. I know we don't talk a lot about the blood of Christ anymore because the blood sounds kind of gruesome, doesn't it? But it's the blood of Christ, it's a sacrifice, and the Jews knew all about that. They've known about the blood and how the blood is protecting and, and cleansing for years, how it is, the, how it is the, the key to a sacrifice. They remember the Passover, when the blood was put over the, their doors and they, could, they were saved by the blood. And it says here that, that when, when, we, when the blood of Jesus comes, it purifies us from the sin. When we say, Lord, I need, I need purified from the sin, what do I do? And he said, I can do it for you. I've done it through the blood, through, my, through the cross. And it says when we do that, we also have fellowship one with another. Our one another's that we had last time. The Democrats and the Republicans, the, the, the you know, the, and it, we all have fellowship one with another, the Jews and the Gentiles. Browns fans and the Steelers fans, yes. We all have fellowship one with another. He goes on then in verse eight. says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And those who thought they were pure, those who thought they had it all, and they just needed Jesus to come and deal with the rest of them, thought they didn't need the blood. They thought they didn't need because they were sinless. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and will what? Purify. Purify. Purify us from all unrighteousness. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah was before the Lord and saw the Lord high and lifted up. And his immediate response was, oh, I sunk. I am such an unworthy man. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And it says a seraphim came and took the coal and placed it on his lips. Didn't burn his lips. But it says he was purified. When God comes, and this was the message of Malachi, he is coming to purify he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And those that respond to him, he not only saves, he purifies. He takes all the gunk in our lives, all that stuff that needs to be removed. And he takes it, and he takes his big tide to go, and he just wipes it away. And we're as clean as we ever were. He forgives. He purifies. And he draws us close. James 4, 8 says this, come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. I think, I think they missed two things. First of all, they missed that this, this act of Christ, this purification was, was for everybody. It was for everybody. It wasn't a thing to separate. It was a thing to bring us together. We all need. The purification was not for them. It was for me. It was for us. And secondly, they missed that it was for them. 
He says, I've come to judge you. (laughs) You're the one that needs purified. Examine your thoughts, examine your hearts. This Christmas season, this Advent season, it's a time to, to examine our hearts. What is it that needs to be cleaned apart, cleaned off? What is it that needs to be wiped away in our lives? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, to purify us from the unrighteousness. He will do that. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we this morning are grateful for all you do for us. We are grateful for the blessings of life. We are grateful for all the provisions. But Lord, most of all, we know that we were in a position where we were messed up, where, Lord, we carried sin in our lives, where, Lord, there was nothing that we could do. And here at at Christmas time, you sent Jesus to do the work that we couldn't do. We thank you, Lord, for your blood. With the blood that Jesus shed on that cross that cleans us up so that we can come in a relationship with him, so we can be close to him. Lord, draw us close to you this Christmas season. Lord, draw us closer to you than we've ever been before. And Lord, we know we can't do it unless we allow you to, to, to take, that, take that pen and that, that, that tie it white out and just do your work. Lord, we offer ourselves to you this morning in sacrifice and love and gratitude. Speak to us as we contemplate these words in the words of this song in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks, guys. You know, uh, if you want to come up and talk, Pastor Eric and I will be here. If something in the message of what you heard or the song spoke to you about needing to be purified, needing to uh, uh, let your light shine and glorify God and, and represent the one who gave his life so that his, sin, his, his blood could take away the sins of the world. We'd love to talk with you. We'd like to love to pray with you. We'll be here after the service. Don't forget, uh, if you've got tickets, the children are this afternoon and uh, they'll be down in the gym and with their activities, the, the hot dogs and chips and stuff in between. And then back here, 6.30 tonight. Tickets are only $5 a person, 15 maximum for a household. Uh, so we, we wanted people to be able to come and just help us offset some of the costs of the day. So uh, come invite some friends. Should be a great evening together. Also, just one other thing in your program. You might notice last week we had the angel tree and you guys took them all so quickly. The second service didn't even get a chance to get any. So we do have some Project Hope. Uh, you can pick, go out to the table there and pick up some of the information on Project Hope and you can support a family in the homeless center there. And uh, uh, just at least leave, leave at least one for the next service, okay? So you can do that. We appreciate it. And as you go today, uh, go in the peace and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't forget also offering boxes are in the back. Just drop your offering and cards there and we thank you so much. See you tonight. Go and in the presence of the Lord, you're dismissed. <laughs>